0: Pretty simple. Again, garbage bag, poncho slash tarp. Can't beat it. Cannot be beat. Your body is the only heater that you're going to be taking in the woods with you. So anything and everything else is just there to help your body do what it's supposed to do or hurt it in doing what it's trying to do.
1: We had 20 people in the class. It took them an hour equals 20 hours, right, to build a one-person debris hut. Hey guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, and Craig, no producer Ben. I am hoping to get him back on because he just adds something to the whole thing. I know he's in the beginning of your manly musings, but we miss producer Ben. If you guys miss producer Ben, just let us know and we will drag him in here next time. How's that sound? Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Ben adds a flavor
0: that... You kind of feel that it's in the the recipe, but, yeah, he just makes it so much better. (laughs) He does. All right,
1: guys, so it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learn, and we all learn today, because I'm going to learn something from Craig. I know it, to thrive in our lives tomorrow. So, Craig, my friend... How are you doing? I know you're busy. You are a busy man this time of the year, aren't you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, today uh, today is our first day in Kentucky that it feels a little bit like summer. You know what I mean? I mean, really? Yeah, spring. Yeah, it's uh, getting to be a little uncomfortable, but not so bad that I haven't been out in it most of the day. But yeah, that's really good. We've been in this rainy, cold pattern
1: here, and it's. uh, Mm. I started. Karen really wanted my wife wanted to get into beekeeping. I used to do it years a few years ago and got out of it because of a pattern of winter kill and it just got kind of frustrating. But she really wants to do it cuz she's into all the natural herbal stuff. So anyway, we got that whole thing going and I have new bees out there that have it's been so cold they have not been able to fly yet. They don't they really don't get out and fly much until Temperature's above 60 or 62 or 63 degrees. So, anyway, I've been doing that and prepping out the tiny survival guide and other gear to get that shipping. So, that's
0: been pretty cool, too. Cool beans. All right, guys and guys, our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were right now, this very moment in time. And coming up next, we're going to be talking about shelter particularly wilderness shelter, survival shelters, and stuff of that good nature. We will be discussing all kinds of backcountry builds and moderate conditions, nothing hardcore like snow cap, high mountain type stuff. Uh, As I was prepping some notes for this show, I think uh, it would be best to get somebody maybe from the Rocky Mountains in to talk about some snow shelters. That's a good Uh, idea. maybe, Maybe a good SEER instructor if we can find somebody. I know some guys that'll maybe be talking about that in the near future, so we'll see. But uh, we'll see how that plays out, and this is primarily definitely a survival perspective today, and we'll see how it goes. So there you have it. So in the Tiny Survival Guide, speaking of that,
1: in Section H, we have a really nice, I guess one of the, it's about a moderately sized with, I'm looking at seven or eight diagrams here, of shelter. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is just kind of outlined there. If you have your tiny survival guide or you're going to get it, you can refer to that at some particular point. So today, I think we're going to go over some things, Craig, to do and things not to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the intent. Yeah, for sure.
1: And we'll break down each one of these individually and just kind of kick it back and forth and cover them in such a way that you guys, the listeners, can go out and practice these and get some dirt time under your belt whenever you can make time for it.
0: Yeah, but real quick, everybody, before we get into that, let's talk about Sportsman's Guide because it's been a fantastic sponsor of the show, and uh, we really appreciate your encouragement in in supporting Sportsman's Guide and all that good stuff because it's a win-win for the show when you go to Sportsman's Guide. Again, use the link at survivalshow.com forward slash guide when you get there that direction. And that methodology that lets them know that we're sending you to them. And so they like that and that makes them happy, which they try to make us happier and all the good stuff that goes along with it. So thanks again for supporting it. But with that said, let's get into the nitty gritty, my friend. Let's do it. So, guys, again, uh, David mentioned it, but let me just say a a couple of words. These are wilderness type shelters that we want to be discussing today, and in particular, the fundamentals, not exactly the shelters, because that would be difficult to describe. Uh, Maybe we'll put a video together on that at some point in time. But um, particularly what we want to do is look at the things that you should be doing when considering putting up a shelter, as well as the things that, oh my goodness, we didn't want to do that at all and make sure that we avoid them. So with that, we'll go, we've got about six, seven topics in each of those subcategories of should do or shouldn't do. And then we'll, uh, we'll attack them that way. Uh, this is probably be a good thing for you to uh, pay attention and if there's something that jumps out at you, just take some notes on it. If you're driving, do that later. Don't do it right now. And in that way we can all come on, join in and learn together the way we do it most of the time at least. So first things first, David, the timing of the building of shelters. What 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 do you have for that?
1: Yeah, so the I think the idea here is and in- good point on not taking notes while you're driving craig the point of shelter <laughs> is keep you warm dry safe and secure right so there's various different purpose and purposes and points of shelter but let me just before we get into the do's let's just talk about kind of a first rule of shelters so above all else a shelter must keep you warm and dry enough to maintain your core body temperature. Would you would you agree that maybe that's, if, if you got right down to the survival part of keeping your biological body functioning, would you consider that or maybe expand on that as far as the purpose no, of shelter?
0: You know, this is one of those topics, in all seriousness, that I like to keep really simple. Uh, just because we can conglomerate a simple topic and it just, it just, doesn't make it a good topic. complicated. Right. Yeah. And it's just, you know, paralysis by analysis kind of thing. That's not worthwhile. But yeah, uh core body temp is where it's at. That's what we're doing shelter for. It's not to build a new home and it's not to make something look pretty and attractive like you see a lot of these folks doing. It's about staying alive. And so core body temperature is where it's at. All right.
1: So as far as some shelter dues, let me just start with one here. And this is really important because In a lot of cases, you're really shelter is something that's going to take you some time in most cases, unless you're well-prepared, like Craig always is and has a tarp or a a trash bag with him or something of that nature. But you, you need to look at where you're at, look at the rule of threes, right? We've talked about that plenty. And one thing that you need to make sure that you do because temperatures usually often drop depending on the time of the year or where you're at, is you need to be thinking about making your shelter before dark. And I'm just going to tell you this from experience. It doesn't matter if I have a tarp. It doesn't matter if I'm using natural materials or even a tent. If I push it too much and I start getting too close to dark, things, time just starts to expand. It lengthens. I mean, it shortens. And all of a sudden you find yourself it's dark out. And if you don't have a headlamp, you are, you are potentially putting yourself at risk. So I just want to say that regardless of whether you're camping, whether you're hiking, or whether this is actually a legit survival situation, you want to set a goal to quickly find or build a simple, suitable shelter and get a fire going before dark. Craig, do you have anything else to add to that?
0: No, that's the main thing I wanted to cover is, um, you know, use the daylight hours you have left minimum of two to set up a shelter in my opinion. So when you start seeing those longer shadows in a wilderness area, that's because the sun is getting lower on the horizon for those that are experienced woodsmen, you know, exactly what I'm talking about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You don't, you don't want to go right up against dark and start building that shelter unless you've trained and practiced to do that a lot. But if you can, you know, use those last hour or two of daylight to go ahead and get all that good sunlight available to you and make that shelter and then you're good to go.
1: I think that's about as simple as we can put it in keeping this whole thing simple, right? Yeah. So what do you got next?
0: So here's how I always teach shelter building everybody is is when you choose a site. Let's Okay, You you've got the timing down. You know that you need to build a shelter and you're looking at a spot. Here's what I tell everybody in our classes to do when building a shelter. Look up, look down, look, def- look left, and look right. You look up for the thing that a lot of people are familiar with is you're looking for material that might fall out of a tree, a tree that might fall, and that way you don't have something falling on you in the middle of the night. Uh, you don't have something particularly that could help you in a survival situation too. Is You don't have, let's say, acorns falling on your shelter that keeps you awake and that prevents you from getting good sound sleep. And so looking up is going to be incredibly valuable. Um, in that manner, you take the risk out of sitting up under that widowmaker that's going to fall on you middle of the night. Look down. I look at things a little bit differently the most when it comes to the ground, but the main thing that I'm wanting everybody to focus on is if you're if you had a bed of leaves or something of that nature, do your best to remove all the sticks, but leave the leaves there because those leaves are insulation on the ground. I see a lot of people, one of the first things they do when they start building a shelter is they kick all the leaves away. And I'm not saying that's totally wrong, but um, if you want to kick everything out of the way and then bring the leaves back, those leaves are incredibly valuable insulation against the earth itself. And so that's why I tell everybody to look down. Plus, plus, and this is a big one, look for toxic plants that might cause a problem for you. You don't want to be in a tarp set up on a, in a, even even a hammock setup where you're going to be tied up and around poison ivy or sumac or or fire ants or something of that nature that might be problematic to you. And, and so that's why I'm having you look down, look left and look right is real simple. That's what you want to do is you want to try to figure out as best you can, where the sun's going to come up the next day and have the face of that shelter, whatever it might be. And we're talking about a tarp shelter, or maybe you're just leaning up against a tree with a garbage bag around you set up in such a way that you're facing the sun because that morning sun is going to be, is going to be a huge, huge morale boost and not only a morale boost, but at the same time, it's going to actually warm you. And so utilizing that and having that available to you is going to be, it's going to be fantastic and very important. So look left and look right. Uh, another thing that you can utilize to look left and right is, when you're hanging that hammock, make sure that the trees that you're hanging on are solid trees and they don't have toxic species of poison ivy, for example, growing on them. And that way you don't get that onion and your equipment. That's it. What's next?
1: Yeah. So adding to your look up, down, left, right, look up, down, all around, all that. So you want to make sure that when you're looking down, you're just particularly aware of elevation, orientation. You did mention Uh, getting sun into your shelter early on. That's going to help warm you up and encourage your little heart. Another thing you want to make sure of is don't build your shelter in low areas. Uh, It may seem like a really great idea. Let's just say there's a stream or something close by. Uh, You may want to build your shelter right up next to it. But depending on the time of the year, that's going to be a really cold area. Your cold air is going to settle in that valley type area. And also, you don't want to set yourself up for building in even a dry, what appears to be a dry river or a stream bed because of flash flooding. Do you have anything else you want to add to those specifically? I've got a couple of more things as far as orientation, but I figured you might want to kick in. No, right here.
0: no, those are things that we'll, we'll dig into that topic a little bit when we talk about things that we shouldn't do. And that's that's a good segue into it. But it's a, uh, as far as what I was going to get into next, I wanted to make sure that we get into as best we can uh, what would I call it? Maybe the fundamentals of natural or gear based shelters. Um, because from my perspective and from my study, there's some problems that come along with some of the shelter builds that are made out of natural materials. Uh, First and foremost, uh, the whole name of the game is core body temp. And the two enemies of core body temperature are moisture and wind. And so anything that you can do, period, think of it that way. That's the way you need to think about shelter. Because shelter is about keeping the wind off of you and keeping moisture off of you. So whatever you can do, to, uh, set yourself up for success there. That's what you need to do. So with that said, let's take your average ordinary debris shelter, debris, what people call a debris hut, Uh, classic design and and you build it. Uh, I did a, a tremendous study on this one spring season where I built a few and filmed the whole process and how long it takes and how sweaty I got, how many calories I burned and all the things that go along with it. And quite frankly, your typical survival debris hut is just not worth it from my perspective and my study. Uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't it's not a good team building skill. It's a good team building skill and if you got multiple people in a survival situation, it's worthwhile a shelter to build, but just keep in mind the individual debris hut is is going to be something that is going to burn more calories and if you don't put anything down on the ground is going to be problematic for you. So, my recommendation on a natural shelter is is use the environment as best you can. Look around. And this is why we always talk about A stop, think, observe, plan, and actively stay alive. T is think about what gear that you have. I'll get into that in a minute. But O is observe your surroundings and try to work with the environment as best you can. So if you've got a down tree and there's a fork in that tree, pile in leaves uh, in that fork, climb into that fork, pile some stuff on top of you, and you've got a shelter. And it literally would take 45 minutes to build versus several hours. And, and you basically got the same thing. The two limbs, the big limbs of a tree are going to keep the wind off of you. The leaves that are on the ground, keep you insulated from the ground. The leaves that are on top of you will keep a lot of the moisture off of you, except unless it's a super heavy rain. And then, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for success that way. And always, we, we're not getting into it because we've talked about it before. Always, if you have the right clothes on, even if you get wet, you're going to continue to insulate if you have the right clothes on. So make sure you're wearing that polypropylene. Make sure you're wearing something with a, a good uh, insulator, something besides wool. wool. Wool is getting just the, the greatest um, exposure in the bushcraft community, but it doesn't work as well as the modern insulators. It, 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 you know Scientific study has proven this, that it, it only retains heat about 60% of what it can if it's dry. And so we want to get those you know, uh, insulators that work exceptionally well when they're wet and not just partially well when they're wet. Craig, let me just kick back
1: to something that you said. I just want to touch on this this uh, debris hut shelter a little bit more because when we've done our trainings together, and, and you do this in your classes uh, when you do them with Tracy also, but we actually let our students build a debris
0: hut. And out of – Okay, let, let me say something real quick. Yeah, yeah. In my classes, I don't build a debris hut, Okay, but keep going. Go the ahead.
1: reason that we do it in, in the classes that, that uh, we host here and that you've helped me with is I like to add some pain to the training to let people know that this is something that I don't want to do because it's glamorous. Every The one picture that everybody wants from our trainings is them individually in debris hut with a picture smiling. But what people don't see when they see those pictures on Instagram is the fact that we had 20 people in the class. It took them an hour. So let's do simple multiplication here. 20 times, you know, an hour equals 20 hours, right? To build a one-person debris hut that maybe is suitable for uh, a couple of days until you really have to refurbish that. So I just wanted to emphasize that to folks because it seems like a really cool and glamorous thing. It looks great in photos. Uh, you know, it's the hero, hero, shot everybody wants, but there's a lot of more practical. I think Craig, you're just, you're just talking about the practicality of observing your environment and looking at what you have available and realizing that you don't have the calorie expenditure or, or the time to build some of these more complicated shelters.
0: That's it. No. And, and here's the other thing about it too. And this is what I did with the shelter that I did the, the study on is I took a temperature gun with me, and, and, and when I say this, everybody's going to go, oh my gosh, that makes perfect sense. I took a temperature gun with me and took a temperature reading inside a debris hut with no human in it, okay? It was colder inside the debris hut than it was outside. And the reason it's colder inside is because there's no sunlight that gets inside of a debris hut. That makes perfect sense. Now, add in a human. So what I did is I got inside the debris hut. And I laid in there for, I can't even remember what it was, three, four hours, took a temperature reading while I was inside there. No discernible difference. So it's just not a practical setup. Now, to keep the wind off of you and the rain, yes, I get that. But if you're going to be out there for a long extended period of time, for example, yes, I get that. It's worthwhile to take a day to build a shelter. And as David suggested, you can on a daily basis, put some more stuff on it and it'll last a long time. The one that I made that I did the study on lasted solidly for about three months through a a winter of Kentucky. And that doesn't, that's not a winter like in Pennsylvania where uh, David lives, but a winter in Kentucky gets pretty cold, a lot of wind, some snow, but not much. And so it's a pretty good hut, but you know, just not practical. So that takes me into um, modern gear, if you're not taking a garbage bag with you or, and, or a tarp, then you're foolish. You need to, uh, a garbage bag with a hole cut in the bottom of it, put over top of your head, boom, media shelter. You've got yourself out of the wind. You've got yourself out of the rain and you can sit down on your pack up against the tree and get out of more wind and rain. So that, that is simple. A tarp set up literally takes 10, 15 minutes with practice to get set up and again, a tarp especially one that is a poncho put over your head is a wearable walk around, get some work done again, sit down on the pack. And I keep recommending sit down on your pack, sit down on leaves, sit down on something. Just don't sit down on the earth because the earth's going to pull heat away from you. And so that, that is uh pretty simple again, garbage bag, poncho slash tarp. Can't beat it. Cannot be beat.
1: Yeah, that's great, Craig. And a lean to. I mean, if you're going to do a a hybrid, and I guess what I mean by a hybrid is you've got a poncho, you've got a a small tarp, you've got a trash bag. You can integrate that with natural materials, and one of the most simple ways to do that is to just make a simple frame and a lean to, and attach that uh, poncho, lean it up against a log, maybe a rock, and you can just crawl under there. If and that may be, and that's something that you can actually do. Uh, in the event that you don't have cordage or a whole lot of resources there, uh, you could use rocks to stabilize it, or maybe some some vines or sticks to hold things in place. Now we've got this other kind of debris hut thing here, Craig. I know you have some opinions about the squirrel squirrel's nest.
0: Squirrel squirrel's nest is is basically what I just described you all. Which is some way, shape, or form of just piling up some debris, forest debris, and climbing in it, and um, that that is simple, and, and it's a squirrel's nest because that's how a squirrel builds a nest. They they build a base out of leaves uh, or uh, branches in a tree, fill it full of leaves, and when it's time to get out of the wind and the rain, they climb up underneath of it. And so, the reason I'm suggesting put that. Uh, if if a tree has fallen on the ground or you can just bring two logs together and pile up leaves and climb underneath of them, it's because the two logs will provide a wind break for you. And because that wind is so valuable to, to be able to keep the wind off of you, you don't, you do not want to have that wind on you. That's not good.
1: Okay. So the next thing on our list is fire placement. So fire obviously has a lot of different benefits from morale boost to Obviously, in this particular case, warmth, but morale boosting is important light and uh, protection from predators and cooking. I mean, there's there's just I I think it almost goes without saying that there's it's if I if you did not have a shelter and you just had an evergreen tree to crawl up under and you uh, were able to safely build a fire uh, that could uh, that alone could get you through a, a pretty tough night. So as far as fire placement and building, you just want to make sure that your your fire is close enough proximity to you, to you when you build it and uh, safely done. So that one, obviously you don't want to catch yourself or your shelter on fire, but you want to orient it so that uh, you are maximizing the warmth. And, you know, we're specifically talking here about, you know, sh- a shelter that is designed to, uh, keep your core body temperature, right. Um, Craig, do you have any, any more things about just specifically things about, uh, the fire placement?
0: Man, I always love going back to eighth grade science class, which is heat, the way heat works forces conduction convection and radiation. And, and we're building a fire because it's going to put off heat that radiates out 360 degrees away from that particular fire. So, uh, anything that we can do to put a barrier and some people call them fire reflectors, some sort of barrier on the opposite side of our shelter from the fire. So basically you have a shelter, you have fire, then you have some sort of barrier, the better off we're going to be. Now that barrier can be a rock that's existing. You can build it out of logs Um, sometimes I build fire reflectors like that out of logs and basically use them to, to basically dry the wood. So it's drier. We call it the tremble method. We dry wood before we put it onto the fire. And, um, that's, that's kind of an inside joke, but Tracy listens to the podcast. So he'll like, like me saying that, I hope the tremble method of fire warming, but, um, but what we're doing there is hoping And there is I have seen science on both sides of this. And so the verdict is out even for me on whether heat is actually reflected back because you have I have tried to study this and cannot find anything that I felt like I could say, okay, this is conclusive evidence that this is true or this is true. And I haven't come to a firm conclusion. So. Uh, or I, or I would say it, but I tell you what does work is if you have anything that has shine to it, that doesn't melt, you can put it on the other side on that fire reflector and it's going to reflect the heat. So if you have a, one of the Mylar blankets that, uh, reflective Mylar, then it, it's just a fantastic piece of equipment to either put onto the fire reflector so that all the heat that radiates on that side of the fire is reflected back towards you or put it on the inside of your shelter, and by putting it on the inside of your shelter, then any heat that's going to escape going out the back of a tarp shelter, for example, or even a natural shelter, is going to be reflected back onto you. Yeah, that
1: works particularly well with with a lean-to shelter, whether it's out of hybrid materials, uh, you know, a tarp or a trash bag, like you said, or even natural materials, for sure. And regardless of whether that reflector actually helps or, or does nothing as far as reflecting heat back, it's still going to be a windbreak.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely going to. I mean, again, that's why I try to take it back to the simple terms, which in this particular case is wind and moisture. Keep those off of you and you'll be fine. If you just think wind and moisture, then and you, you'll be fine and, and trying to prevent those from getting on you.
1: So let's just say, Craig, that it's it's raining. Somebody did get some sort of a shelter, so they're not they're not getting soaked right now. But and they have been able to start a fire, but it's not looking good. I, I'm just curious what your recommendations are about keeping that fire going, even in the midst of a, a rainy night. Do you have any super secret woodland ninja tips on that?
0: Uh, shelter over fire, in my opinion, is, is the way to go. Shelter meaning there's two stages of shelter, what you're wearing and what you can put around you. And so when I say around you, the sleeping bag, the tarp, the garbage bag, whatever it might be, and the tent, the, you know, the teepee that you bring, whatever it is that you create as a shelter, then, then that is going to be key. So you, you can have a fire and no shelter and stay right on the fire. I've done that before. We've had a, we had a class one time where, we pulled all the students out of some natural shelters that we built and they were actually debris huts before I knew any better. We pulled students out of their debris huts because they were literally, they, they were going to freeze, not going to die hypothermia, but if we had left them there, they would have. Yeah. And so we pulled them all out, built a huge fire because everything was dry and we had some fantastic, um, fire starting material and, uh, slept by the fire all night and took, took, uh, turns took shifts keeping the fire going so everybody could get some rest too
1: yeah that's really good craig i in one of the trainings i think it was your advanced survival training uh i'm not sure if i'm supposed to do the spoiler but sometimes depending on how your group functions i'll just leave it at that you may (laughs) you may occasionally lose gear at nature reliance, a nature reliance school training. And I remember one particular group. It was not mine. I had a great group. Um, not that these guys were bad. These guys were fantastic. It was just, it's just the way the training's set up and you have to experience it, but they lost a few pieces a year, including, uh, some sleeping bags. Uh, I think maybe, a. uh, ground pad or something like that. So I I believe there were maybe six people in this particular group and they were smart. They actually all had tarps. They built their tarps, uh, one on each side. So basically uh, a tarp, tarps in a square around the centralized fire. And they were close enough to reflect heat back in. And the folks that the, the one particular fellow that I remember him losing his sleeping bag. And it was cold that weekend. I remember it was, it was, it was cool. It was in the thirties for sure. It was in December. Again, if you're going to go to a Craig Cottle advanced survival training, it's not going to be the most comfortable time of the year. And I remember him saying that he actually peeled off his jacket because he was hot. So fire placement and shelter placement can be in that, that can be a game changer for you alone or a group, if you're thinking through it right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these things like what David just described everybody, and this is valuable, I think, information, is that we call it survival and bushcraft. And this is stuff that I did for fun, literally growing up. And so setting up tarps like that, if you've got two, set them up at an angle that are 90 degrees and put the fire in between so a lot of the irradiated heat is back and forth. Um, you can put them face to face dependent upon the again the wind you want to pay attention to your environment see where the wind is blowing make sure wind is not blowing into the face of any lean-to setup and that way you can help one another out We've taught a lot of we, we haven't taught an advanced survival course for a couple years but the, yeah we just it, it's a you know, long story but a lot of stuff going on but but anyway um, the the people that always, build shelters where they face off with one another, build that fire in the middle. They never, hardly ever need their sleeping bags. And don't get me wrong, here in Kentucky, the weather doesn't get incredibly cold anyway, but uh, but it just we just take advantage of it there. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, one more controversial thing and a curveball thrown at you, Mr. Craig Cottle, because you can handle it and hit this out of the park. So there's some controversy on, especially when people build these lean-to shelters and then they build a, there's some, training out there, maybe you can dispel some myths about building these long kind of sort of all night fires that are parallel to the front of a lean to shelter. Do you have any opinions on that in particular?
0: Yeah, uh, I've I've slept like that a number of times and it works. Um, So, you know, what you see on YouTube and even on TV, sometimes you see these perfectly rounded logs are the same diameter all the way down the length. They, they lay perfectly together. And, and I guess that you could find spruces and, and fir trees and stuff of that nature in a boreal forest where that originated. But you know, here in Kentucky, you're not going to find that. I mean, three perfectly shaped logs that lay together and, and, and the thought is, is that you can get a bed of coals going and, and lay some of those coals on top of two logs and then lay another one on top of that, basically forming a triangle and then some, or some variation close to that. And they slow burn and create coals but keep off putting heat throughout the night. And yeah, it works. It works. Um, but if you think you're going to build one and you're not going to have to tend to it at all throughout the night, you're probably going to be in for a rude awakening because it's, it's going to uh, require you to be involved with it as well. But yeah, a lot of people in this part of the world refer to those as long fires. Uh, they're known by different names. I'm a fan of them. Um, you know, it's it's I think they they work exceptionally well from my experience with them. They have worked really well. It's really good, Craig. One more shelter I want to mention here
1: is if you are in a situation, and I don't know when this is going to come up in our sequence of podcasts, but we recently had Joe Flowers in here and Joe talked about jungle shelters. We've got one more shelter that wouldn't be as common in most of the places that you and I hang out in, although you are a hammock fan, but this would be a swamp bed kind of platform jungle shelter. Do you have have you ever made one of those specifically? In- I have. Okay,
0: Yeah, I made one just because I I don't think I would need it here in this part of the world. Um, but I made it just because so many people have interest in it and they asked me about them. So I want to have knowledge about them. But yeah, anything, I mean, particularly swamp area or if you have an extreme um, situation where you might be engaged by snakes or or insects or something of that nature that are crawling on the ground. Then, yeah, build that raised platform. Anytime you get off the ground, whether it's a raised platform or a hammock or something of that nature, you increase the amount of heat convection. Uh, basically, wind passes around all the way around you and removes the heat away from you. And so, that is a bad situation if you're trying to stay warm, unless you can put enough insulation between you and the bed and as well as on top of you because heat rises. Right. So we got to do what we can to uh, take care of the core body temp in that situation too. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a time for them and uh, there's definitely a needed situation in a swampy area. And like Joe was talking about in our podcast, in an area where you're in a jungle, then you want to get off the ground for sure.
1: You want to get into some EDC gear and you've already alluded to a few pieces of gear that, People should take whenever they venture out into the wilderness, like even, even just a hour walk, you know, where you're at out and back. I mean, would you still
0: carry some gear? Yeah. Yeah. Guys and gals. It's one of the things that we've had Tracy Trimble on and he's talked about, um, you know, going in and rescuing folks. And one of the things I I try to talk to him as best I can after every one of those events and, uh, usually it's gotten to the habit where he'll tell me about them. And there, there's obviously some, some stuff that he does with his work as a search and issue volunteer that is uh, confidential. So he doesn't share that with me for those that are interested. But, you know, in general, people go out for that day hike and they don't take anything. They're wearing flip flops. They don't take water. They don't take any sort of shelter at all. And so I try to recommend people. Take the fundamentals every single time you go, whether you're going morale hunting for an hour, you're going turkey hunting. Like I, I took stuff with me today, this morning when I went turkey hunting, e- expecting that there might be a situation where I could get hurt or lost and spend the night out. And those things would include for shelter, a garbage bag at minimum, a, a garbage bag. And I say that because that garbage bag can be cut and wrapped around you. It can be cut on the bottom, stick your head through. And, and so it's just immediate shelter for you. You can fill it full of leaves and lay down on the ground. You've got a mattress. Uh, if you have the ability to have a fanny pack or maybe a big cargo pocket, then a military poncho is a fantastic thing to take, or maybe even a bigger or hardier poncho or tarp or something of that nature has got to go with you. And then last but not least, one thing that I take with me almost every time I go on a trip, not necessarily when I go turkey hunt, for example is uh, I take a reflective bivy sack. I I carry the uh, Survive Outdoors Longer, S-O-L, uh, bivy sack, and that has saved my bacon more than once in that it it reflects the heat back on me. It keeps the wind off of me. keeps the rain off of me. It's breathable. Add some insulation through leaves or other means, and then it's it's a fantastic little piece of equipment that packs up tight. And a little tip for
1: guys, if you want to increase the... uh, resistance to cold of your sleeping bag or or maybe you have a jungle bag like I have, those bivvies are great. You can slip your sleeping bag right over top of that. And that's going to add, I'm going to say that's going to add a good 10 or 15 degrees to that. You know, Craig, even when I've done your training, I do some experimental things to try and reduce the amount of weight and volume that I take for a sleep system. So that particular bivy sack, I've got one of those too. And, and that it's, it's not very big. I mean, it's smaller than a water bottle and it weighs almost nothing.
0: Yeah. I love that piece of equipment. I'm not, I'm not, I don't get geeked out on gear, but that little thing has, I mean, I, every time I go now, I take it. And most of the time I never expect to use it, but there's been a few times and and don't get me wrong. I spend more time out than most, but but uh, there's been a few times where I'm like, oh, I'm so so glad that I brought that this time because I needed it. I'm going to add two more things to your list, Craig. I'm just going to say some
1: some sort of a knife, and I'm going to add cordage to that. I'm I'm becoming a really big fan of tarred bank line, but uh, paracord is is fantastic too. And if you don't know this, one of the beauties of paracord is you have an outer casing, and 550 paracord will have seven inner strands to it. So. Uh, I've made trash bag shelters out of just the guts of, of paracord. So let's just say you have, you have 10 feet. What you really have there is you have 80 feet of usable cordage, depending on what your usage is. So that's, those are two things that I would add to your list, which are kind of like common sense. I mean, I always carry those, but, Mm -hmm. and I guess the last thing would be a fire kit, but more specifically a lighter. And I think, I think you're all set. I mean, if you know how to build a fire and, and you've practiced with those materials a little bit, you know, if you're caught outside for a night, I don't think you're going to die. Right.
0: No, I mean, it, it With some fundamental things just like that, for sure. Uh, it's, you know, fire starting material and, and shelter building, shelter building being from my perspective. And, and that's a disagreeable topic among some people too, is whether you go shelter or fire first, but I, I'm a big fan of shelter first.
1: That's good. Well, you want to get into some things definitely the people should not do. I'll let you lead off on this one.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I had listed you all is definitely avoid low areas, which David dug into a little bit, and high areas. Uh, again, some of the things that you run into with low areas is moisture problems. Uh, you have water runoff, um, any number of things they're going to do with moisture. And because heat rises, areas that are in a lower portion of a wilderness are going to be cooler. So that's some areas that need to be avoided this morning as I was walking into the turkey woods, when I was walking into the woods, turkey hunting, but, uh, as I was walking in, I walked in through, uh, what we in Kentucky affectionately refer to as a holler, uh, you listening may call it a hollow or a ravine, or we might call it a valley, valley too. (laughs) a valley. That's another fine word that I'm perfectly fine with. Um, so uh, it was much cooler walking in there than it was where I eventually got to where the turkeys were strutting up on top of the hill. So it's just something you can, when it's dark and you're walking through the woods and, and you can't see anything, those things kind of stand out to you. But yeah, a lot cooler down under on the bottom. Up top, the a, a, as well as bugs. I didn't mention bugs, but bugs are a problem down low. Up top. Uh, What you run into is a lot of wind, you know, because as wind is coming through an area, there's going to be more wind on top. And so, again, because we're trying to focus our attention on wind and moisture and keeping that off of us, we don't want to go to the spot where there is a lot of wind. Um, So as far as building shelter, slightly off the top of a hill is going to be best for you because you have the ability for if you're using electronics, you can possibly get better cell coverage up top. Uh, you can actually get a better spot where people might be more readily able to find you. And and so in getting close to the top, you have those advantages. But at the same time, you can slightly get off what we would call to the military crest of the hill, slightly down off the crest of the hill, and take advantage of getting out of the wind as well.
1: That's good stuff. So as far as insulation, you want to be insulated from the ground. Craig already talked about that quite a bit. Obviously any leaves that you have that are dry. Uh, I've been in situations where there were spruce and not a whole lot of leaves. So, and again, just being conservation oriented, if you're going to practice these skills, just make sure you do it in an area that, you know, if it's your property or or something, you want to be sensitive to that because it, I'm just going to tell you, it takes quite a bit of spruce branches or pine branches to insulate well. So, uh, just be aware of that, but you can use evergreen branches. you can use uh, any any sort of fairly comfortable debris, and comfort's important. And if you're camping, so Craig, I know you do a lot of hammock camping and things like that, and one big thing is uh, cold back syndrome, right. I, I know even when I sleep on the ground or sleep in a tent and even in in my hammock for probably three seasons, you know, maybe except for summertime. I usually have an insulated mat. I've used a lot, Exped, because it's a, it's a blow up type mat that has insulation, insulating material, but there's a lot of other brands that are out there now. So you've got some, you know, like Craig said, you don't want to be losing your heat to the ground and you don't want to be gaining that cold from the ground. So you need a lot of insulation. Uh, A couple of years ago, I spent, about 35 days out in primitive shelters. And I'm just going to tell you what, spending that much time sleeping on leaves, what happens is, and maybe you have some scientific information on this, Craig, but you can get a big pile of leaves and it looks like, man, that is just going to be the most comfortable thing. I'm going to say they reduce in size and compact down to like one twentieth of their original size. So it takes a lot of insulating material to really get your body off of the ground and, and be in a comfortable state. Uh,
0: What else do you have to add to that, Craig? Oh, I think that's good. You know, as far as building like a lean to shelter, uh, usually what I have our folks do in class is fill the shelter completely full of leaves and then get in on it. Uh, Most people, if they're new, which is why they come to a class because they're new uh, and and they want to learn. Most people uh, originally, if they're new to it, will just put, you know, a good 10 inches of leaves down. And, you know, within an hour's time, that's basically going to be not efficient and not doing much at all. And so it's one of the nice surprises that I like to help people with that are not used to such things. Fill that shelter completely full and get in on top of it. It's going to be so much better for you. So
1: I guess the not to do here is you should not just lay down on the ground without having insulating material in there, especially at least in our climate three seasons of the year.
0: Yeah. And you saying that brought up another thought too, David. Thanks for saying what you said. Uh, I've seen a lot of people on social media that will get the reflective blankets and take them and lay them down on the ground and think that for some reason that they will reflect heat and they will do that minimally, but what will also happen is because they're basically in direct contact with the earth via, via the reflective blanket, the heat still gets pulled out of your body. And so um, that it, it's kind of confusing for people that are new, but the way I like to approach the topic of maintaining core body temp is to constantly remind people that your, your body is the only heater that you're going to be taking in the woods with you. So anything and everything else is just there to help your body do what it's supposed to do or hurt it in doing what it's trying to do. And so a Mylar blanket is not a heater. It only makes your body efficiently reflect heat back to Mm -hmm. itself. So,
1: But a good application there would be if you had a Mylar blanket under your coat. So you have have that reflective material. Now you have insulating material. I think that's what's missing from the equation is the insulating material. Or if you had a, a fairly good... It, you know, let's just say it's really cold out, you have a fairly good bed of leaves or or evergreen branches or whatever, and you lay that mylar blanket between you and the insulating material, I think you're going to get a lot more out of that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking
0: app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
0: thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups.
0: In breaking news... Well, I, I put down just the thought of, you know, shelters that just happen to appear and are just there, like caves and caverns, rock shelters, uh, holes in the ground and stuff of that nature. Um, you know, one thing that comes up here in the state of Kentucky in particular, and I'm sure it's this way in other places, is that rock shelters are illegal to camp in for training purposes and for camping. So keep that in mind. But for... Uh, for survival situation, you know, I would I would go against the law for, to keep myself alive, meaning I would get in that shelter, a rock shelter that is there and use it to my advantage. Um, caves are great places. People have lived in caves because they keep a temperature at a, a nearly constant temperature throughout the year, no matter what the season is. And so they're worthwhile of you investing some time and energy in looking into them before you set up because a lot of things may find that a very attractive place to stay and sleep as well, meaning wildlife that you don't want to engage in. So if I was going to stay in a cave, I would want to have some experience in it, survival situation that may or may not be available to you, but at least do some investigating. I would not go into a cave in the dark when I don't have a flashlight to investigate and just lay down because you just cannot see what's in there, and you might be laying down right next to something you don't want to lay down next to. Um not that caves are scary places, but um, they do contain wildlife because hey, they are a good home for a lot of critters that you may not be suitable to human companionship. so uh, we want to avoid that. Craig uh, there's we're starting, yeah, go ahead yeah, please. there's
1: there's two things I, I just didn't want you to get off of ca- caves too far because you are a tracker too, and I think I have stayed in some caves and I've got a f- a full video of a very, very, very cold overnight that I did with my friend Mark who's been at your trainings too. And uh, we stayed in the cave. We got the reality of, of living in a cave through a a sub zero, you know, I don't know, 10 degree night, but there's a couple of things to as far as sign goes that can be cues to you, whether you're going to be alone in that cave. Do you have anything uh, specifically? I'm thinking of one particular (laughs) type of sign that uh, can help people know whether they're going to be alone that night or not.
0: Yeah. Well, man, this is, you just opened Pandora's box, my friend. <laughs> you, you asked me a tracking question. Oh man. So many things going through my head. Uh, here's how you can look at such a situation. I did this the other day on a turkey hunt. I, I saw a cave and I wanted to go investigate and I could see where a bobcat had walked in and laid down. And, and so, but it, you know, man, tough subject, but here, here's my 32nd version. Baseline versus disturbance anytime you want to look at a an area, look at the way that everything around it appears, and if something within that area looks disturbed it it'll rarely be a full on beautiful track like you see on the internet or in a book or what have you. If something looks disturbed, then it's worthy of your investigation to see if hey is that a footprint of a bear, for example and and that way you can avoid that situation as best you can. More often than not, wildlife's gonna avoid you. But again, the thing that comes to mind as far as caves and stuff of that nature is, hey, in a survival situation, I stumble upon an area or I know a cave's there and I'm going into a dark. I just I just man, I wouldn't do that. I, I would just have some light or I would several the consequences somewhere else piled up in a squirrel's nest somewhere
1: mm. instead. The one particular sign that I'm thinking of, Craig, that's, that's super simple for people to identify, especially if it's a smaller cave. And I've seen this time and time again, it's just scat animals are going to kick all the scat out of their, their actual, you know, small, smaller area within the cave. And so that's going to be really prevalent in there. So look for scat. If it, if it looks like poo, it's poo. And you're going to know that you're not going to be alone uh, in the, in the video that we did and the overnight we did in a winter cave, there was scat, uh, but it was porcupine scat. And it was, I identified it as being fairly old. Now there were porcupines in the area. They really didn't want to have much to do with us. And fortunately one didn't crawl across my face in the middle of the night. So scat's a big one just to look for. Anything else on caverns, uh, caves, holes, those sorts of things? No, I
0: think it's it, man. Why don't we go ahead and dig into the next one.
1: I think that we overthink things, and this is why we try to simplify things down for people. Just like you just talked about, about sign, I, I think that was, and tracking, that was some really good information, and we can complicate this whole shelter thing. If you want to make it to Taj Mahal tomorrow and you have the energy and the resources to do that, do it then, but get yourself protected now, and don't overthink it. Get yourself something in place, look at what you have, look at your environment, figure out what What gear you have, what capabilities you have, how much time you have before it gets dark and get it done.
0: I have zero to add to that. I think that's perfect. I I would like to keep it that simple. Cool. What do we got next? Food. Food in your shelter. Any type of food that you're going to take in your shelter or any other thing that has a strong scent is going to be attractive to other wildlife. So. Particular, particularly in bear country, you never want to use and cook food in particular in your shelter. You want to move it away. And I have seen so many different suggestions on how far away. Uh, what would your be your recommendation on it, David? Do you have an idea? I don't, I don't, I haven't concerned myself with that enough because there's not a lot of bears here.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not sure statistically what, how far a bear can smell. I've heard some, really Oh,
0: now I know a, a bear can smell for miles for
1: miles right
0: and so but as far as shelter how far you move it away because they're going to smell it you just don't want to bring them right to you you know so so uh, even Alan Kay on alone when he was on alone he had two separate camps and they were uh, I don't know how far away but one thing I read was at least 100 yards away and that's a that's a pretty significant distance in a survival situation particularly if you might be injured.
1: Yeah, my experience has been especially with camping around here, we hang our bags. So we always keep our bags and and I'm not super particular about that. I would I generally don't go that far, Craig. I'm not going to go 100 yards with a you know, with the area that I'm cooking my food in. I would usually I would usually go 50 to 100 feet maybe that's too close for some people and maybe that's close for places like the Rockies and out west when you've got any number of of predators you've got wild cats you've got larger bears and we have here and, and bears that are a lot more aggressive than here but my general experience is as you would say the critters are going to come out at night and whether you have food or not they're going to smell you and they're going to be curious whether it's a deer or a bear or Wildcat or a wild dog. Uh, generally, they're not going to have want to have anything to do with you. But just here's a little camping tip. I just, even beyond food, do not keep your toothpaste in your tent. Don't spit your toothpaste right outside your hammock. Just, just don't do it. There's a lot of scent that's very <laughs> attractant <laughs> <laughs> to wildlife that will uh, give you a, a really interesting surprise in the middle of the night. Craig, do you have anything else to say about that by any chance?
0: No, I taught David that, uh, (laughs) a little tidbit that he just shared with you all. Uh, and I did so by, uh, I wanted to, I had a theory that if I spit my toothpaste out by my camp that the bears would come. No, really guys. We did a class That Was that the first class? Yeah, it was the first class up there. First class we did up in Pennsylvania and I did exactly what you're not supposed to do at that class, which is what David just described and had bears underneath my hammock when I came back for lunch one day. So, or a bear. So, uh, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. They like those scents. So move your spittle away from your camp as well. Yep. So if you have any food on you, let's just say you have
1: energy bars or anything, you're going to want to try and find a way to hang that. And, and if, if you don't have a hang bag, even a bandana, uh, some cordage would be really helpful. If you were in a pinch, just get it off the ground and, and out of the way and away from the place that you're sleeping so you're not surprised. Hey,
0: let me say yeah. something here real hey, quick. Hey, yeah, yeah. Because hey. about three weeks ago, a month ago, it came out that that backcountry skills instructors don't recommend you hang your food in a tree anymore. And Okay, so I looked into it. I think it's... If it works, keep doing it and because that works. And I think what that was born out of, because we had this discussion on a Facebook group about it, is like, I thought the recommendation now was that you don't have to hang it. You have to put it in a bear proof container. Yes. Yeah. Carry a bear proof container with you. Here's the issue, you all. Those aren't the easiest things to carry. They don't pack down small and not everybody carries one. And if you can carry some cordage, you got yourself covered. I think personally, and this is why I don't like, I I like to share these kind of things because I think it's marketing. I really do. I think somebody has put that out there to sell some sort of bear proof container. And uh, it's not that there's anything wrong with that bear proof container. I'm not saying that, but you know, hanging something in a tree works. Cordage is a lot cheaper and a lot less area in your pack and a lot less weight than, hey, a bear proof container. So yeah, keep doing that. Craig, I've I've lived in bear country, my
1: I mean, you know, blackberry, but we have a lot of blackberry around here. And I've hiked and camped these woods in and around Pennsylvania and the, the wilderness up here. And I have never, never had a problem with a hung bag. Never. Did I say never? Never, ever. So I think you're right. It's just safe practice. I think the bottom line is here, if you're in a survival situation, just separate your food from your sleeping place. Generally, as Craig, as Craig said earlier, these animals really don't want to deal with you, but they are curious. I mean, you're in their home. So just expect you're going to see them. You're gonna, you might wake up in the middle of the night, like I did up in the Olympic uh, mountains in Washington one day and there were some very large deer sniffing our tent. And it kind of freaked me out at the time because they were big and they were loud about it and they were poking on the tent and everything else. And so they're just curious. Uh, most In most cases, they don't want to have anything to do with you. Just don't give them a reason to want to have to have anything to do with you because they're they're generally not interested in you. They're interested in that sweet smell on whatever you have in your tent or your shelter. So don't do it.
0: All right. What's next? All right, Gary, you should avoid taking, I'll let you start this out. Uh, avoid taking things that do not insulate you when they're wet. Avoid th- taking a tarp that is not hardy, meaning something that's just cheap plastic, get something that's nylon ripstop or cordura some variation of it. Um, so that you know it's going to work when you need it to work. We, I taught a class for EMS providers last week, disaster readiness class, and they have a scenario at the end of class like I do in all my classes, and the only tarp that they had with them was this little piddly thing that I ripped with my bare hands in a matter of seconds. And so now they don't have a tarp for the injured rescue Randy that they need to take care of now. So. Yeah, so, something to uh, that's going to be hardy, that's going to withstand Hurricane Craig, and that you can uh, that you can bank your life on because it's important. It's it, and, and thinking about it that way, if if you have, let's say, you have a budget because we all have a budget of money to spend on a let's say a sleeping bag and a pad. Spend more money on the pad. Spend as much as you can possibly afford on the pad versus the sleeping bag. I tell people and I show people my sleeping bag all the time. My sleeping bag is a $30 sleeping bag that I got from a big box outdoor store that it has good insulation. It works, but I've spent the extra money that I could have spent on a sleeping bag on a really good pad. And so that that's my approach is make sure you're insulated from the ground. That's for sure.
1: Let me throw in one thing here because you went into something that we see all the time at training. And you're going to say, mm-hmm, yeah, we do. Here's what we see. One of the required things on the list, I think you have this at your school too. We have recommended gear lists. And one thing that I know for the trainings we've done up here, Craig, one thing is a poncho. I see this all the time. People go and they buy the, the. I'm not even going to mention any brands, but they buy these cheap brands for five ninety nine dollars at, at big box stores. It, It's a poncho. Yep, it sure is a poncho. But I'll tell you what, if your life depended on it, even just to keep rain off, if you're in the woods, that poncho is going to snag and it's going to be torn to shreds. And if you're going to make any kind of a shelter out of a terrible, terrible poncho, it's just not going to last for you. And Hurricane Craig will be there and you will not have that poncho for the rest of your training. I guarantee it. (laughs) But that's one big thing that if if you're going to do the whole poncho thing, it, it's honestly kind of hard to find a good quality poncho. The first place I would look is somewhere like Sportsman's Guide or other Army Navy stores where you can get a military style uh, rubberized exterior uh, military surplus poncho, or even better yet, there's a couple of brands. They make them new. So did you have anything else on, on ponchos? Or, or? No, that's the way to go,
0: man. Sportsman's guide or wherever you want to get a military poncho, fantastic piece of equipment. Got to get one, got to have one. If you want to go expensive, you can get one of the other brands that specializes in them. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. where we go.
1: Yep. Yeah. What other, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank on gear that you should avoid taking. What else did you um, have in mind the,
0: here? I didn't really have anything in particular. I just want to make, I think the things that I think they need to avoid, we've already discussed along the way, but but uh, inferior equipment all along the way, all the way, just go ahead and shelter is of primary importance, you all. So building shelter means that if I'm going to spend more money on shelter than I am on my water purifier, then I'm going to do it on my shelter first and and take it that direction. So just keep it as a simplistic way of getting gear because we all have a budget and we can't go over this budget and then let's put some money into our shelter. Cause it's vital. Like the tarp that I carry everywhere that I go, $179, but that, that thing is bomb proof. I mean, it's, I, I can use it as a hammock. I can use it as a shelter. I can carry a 300 pound man in it. I mean, that thing, the thing's made of kadura it's waterproof, it's camouflage. It snaps into all kinds, you know, but there you go. I mean, it's, it's $179. <laughs> Are we done? I think we're done, man. I think I think we're done. You want me to close this out here?
1: Yeah, take us out.
0: Hey, it's been good being with you guys and gals as always. So thanks for being here. If you subscribe to the podcast now, please know that it's free to do so. Thanks for doing that. For all of you who have already subscribed, cannot begin to tell you how easy and important it is to subscribe, and how much that helps us. So please do that if you haven't done that already it helps you not miss out on any episodes and again many many thanks to all those who already have if you enjoy this podcast then please share it with your friends you can do that on social media with the share button rather easily and give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening spotify itunes podcast apple podcast google podcast give us a big five-star rating and leave some words of uh, what you think about it and that way you can get to us and We're getting ready to have a new um, platform that we put everything up on and you'll be hearing about that more as we move forward. And it makes it a lot easier for you to just send us a message about a particular podcast. So that's pretty cool. So that's coming down soon. Click on the link in the description to get uh, any information that we've talked about today as far as gear and all that kind of good stuff. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Keep it simple. Be positive and stay sharp.